Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Well, today we wrap up a series of messages we've been involved in for the last several weeks entitled, What to Do When? The focus of our attention in these weeks have been the life, the story of Jonah. Most people recognize the story of Jonah as the story of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the big fish, but as we've seen in our study together, this book is far more than simply about a big fish story. It's really about a man who teaches us lots of lessons about what to do when certain things happen in our lives. And I want to talk to you this weekend about what to do when your perspective is warped. What do you do when you have the wrong perspective about something in life? Let's go back to the map that I've been using uh, over these last several weeks to describe the, uh, the historical context of Jonah's life and, and ministry and what happened to him. You might recall that during this particular time in Israel, Israel is divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. So it's a divided kingdom at this time. And the northern tribes of Israel during this period, this is about 750 B.C., is the time frame for this. And there's a king in Israel during this time by the name of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was a a very good king in the sense of his uh, ability to uh, create prosperity, economic uh, help for the society. He was not good spiritually, but at least he brought some good military and, 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 and financial blessing to Israel during this time. But there was a growing threat hanging over Israel, and that was the threat of the Assyrians. If you know anything about world history, you'll know that in the Mesopotamian area, the Levant area of the world, during that period of time, there were different kingdoms that would arise and become world powers. Assyria is one of those beginning world powers, and their main city was a city called Nineveh. Following the Assyrians will be the Babylonians. The Babylonians will be followed by the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians will be followed by the Greeks. The Greeks will ultimately be followed by the Romans. And, of course, it's the Roman Empire that's in place when Jesus is born. But, again, we're 750 years before the time of Christ. So the Assyrian Empire is gaining strength, and it is a serious threat to Israel because they are conquering territory, They're known to be very vicious and very atrocious in the things that they do, how they treat those that they they gain as captives. And so Israel is, while they're prospering, there's this hanging threat over them of the Assyrians coming primarily, obviously, from the capital city of Nineveh. Jonah is a prophet to Israel. God speaks to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to the Assyrians there, and I want you to call them to repentance. They're evil, they're wicked, they need to repent, and I want you to go and preach a message of repentance to them. Jonah says, no, I don't want to do that. The reason Jonah did not want to do that was because he did not want God to be good to the Assyrians. He had the understanding that should the Assyrians repent of their sins, God would forgive them, give them another chance. And so Jonah does not want this. And so Jonah goes down to a place called Joppa. It's modern-day Jaffa in, in Israel today, the southern portion of Tel Aviv. He buys a ticket, gets on a boat, and he's heading as far away as he can from Nineveh to a place called Tarshish. 
And this is at the edge of the Mediterranean Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. You might recognize it on your maps today as somewhere around where the Rock of Gibraltar, the Straits of Gibraltar are at this particular time, and uh, as you see on a, on a global map. But here he goes running in this direction. As he's heading that way, a storm breaks out. They're trying to determine on the ship who's causing the storm, and so they cast lots, and the lots fall on Jonah, and Jonah is thrown overboard. He's thrown into the Mediterranean Sea, and there in the Mediterranean Sea, a big fish comes along and swallows him up, sent by God, and he's in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Ultimately, the fish spits Jonah out onto dry ground, and Jonah agrees to go and do what God called him to do originally, and so he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the message of repentance to the Ninevites. The Ninevites repent. They turn from their sins, and then notice, if you will, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, how God responds to their repentance. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So God said, that's what I wanted. I wanted you to repent. So now I'm not going to execute judgment upon you, Ninevites. Now I'm going to be merciful to you. Now, as we mentioned last weekend, we would have expected Jonah to be thrilled with the fact that his preaching had resulted in repentance, but he's not thrilled about it at all. At all, He has a very different response. Take a look at the screen. You'll see some verses that describe his response. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. What seemed wrong? The fact that God was now forgiving the Assyrians. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to, to die than to live. But the Lord replied, replied, is it right for you to be angry? And we talked about that last weekend, how Jonah was angry at God. And the question is, is it ever right to really be angry at God? And of course, it's not right. God understood what he was doing here, and Jonah needed to come to that perspective, as we'll see. Verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And so God is being good. He's forgiving them. Jonah doesn't like it, so he goes out, finds a place east of the city so he can watch the city to see what God is going to do. Verse 6, then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. So here he is sitting in the hot sun in the desert, looking at the city. And of course, the sun is beating down upon him. And so God causes this massive leafy plant to grow over him and shelter him from the heat. And the Bible says that Jonah was very happy. This is the first time in the entire story that we see Jonah happy. He's finally happy about something, and he's happy about the fact that he's being relieved from this seat. Notice verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And so one day, God gives him a plant and he's happy. The next day, God sends a worm to eat the plant, and it withers up. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. So he's back to his same old self again. Okay. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, 
You've been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God was trying to teach Jonah a lesson. God says, Jonah, I brought that plant so you would understand the blessing of the plant, and then it died, and you're unhappy about it. You never planted the plant, and now you're upset that the plant is gone. How much more should I be concerned about people? You're worried about a plant. God says, I'm concerned about 120,000 people, and you need to learn a lesson about your perspective. And what I want to share with you today is the fact that Jonah... His biggest problem all throughout the book, all four chapters of the book, he's struggling with it, trying to come back around and deal with it, but he never finds complete victory over it. That's his warped perspective. I want to talk to you today about your perspective. I want you to say that word with me, perspective. Say it with me together, perspective. I want you to leave today thinking about that one word, perspective. I'm going to share with you three lessons today that will help us to learn something about our perspective. Number one, we need to understand that perspectives are powerful. They're very, very powerful. What is a perspective? A perspective is a mental view. It's a frame of reference. It's a mindset towards something or so, someone. It's the way you look at things. I like to think of it this way. Perspective is the lens through which you look at the world through which you look at God, through which you look at yourself, through which you look at other people. All of us have a lens through which we look at those things in our life. None of us see things clearly. We have a lens that is applied to our thinking process, our mindset, and it affects how we view our world, people, even God himself. And this perspective, this lens that you carry around with you without knowing it, has accumulated in your life over time by the examples that you've had in your life. You've had good examples in your life. You've learned some good lenses, some good filters, and how you view the world. If you've had bad examples in your life, you probably developed some bad thinking in that regard. Your lenses come from your experiences. If you've had good experiences in life, you've developed a good view of God, a good view of the world around you, a good view of people, maybe even a good view of yourself. It comes from your education, your formal education, your informal education. You learn certain things, and that forms a certain opinion, a certain way that you look at the world, a certain perspective that you live by. It happens through whatever you're exposed to in life. The movies that you watch, they form a certain expectation or perspective of your life. The websites you visit, the music you listen to, the books you read, all these kinds of things are creating a view of the world, a view of God, a view of yourself, and a view of others. These are the lenses through which you view the world around you. And perspectives, as I've mentioned, can be good, they can be bad, they can be right or wrong, they can be true or false, they can be righteous or unrighteous or some combination thereof. But we all have a lens through which we view the world. This was Jonah's problem. The primary problem with Jonah is he had the wrong perspective, the wrong way of thinking. He was looking at God through the wrong lens. He was looking at the Assyrians through the wrong lens. He did not have the right perspective. His perspective was warped. And that has consequences in your life. This is what I want you to see. 
Perspectives are not benign. The way you view, the lens through which you look at the world, whatever's formed that way, your, your way of thinking and looking at people and looking at God, whatever way you look at people, God, and the world around you, it has consequences in your life emotionally. You feel based upon how you look, your perspective. It's going to affect the feelings of your life. I'll give you an example of this. Let's say you're on uh, I-270. Most of us drive 270 from time to time. And generally, there's a lot of traffic on 270. And so when you're driving 270, either north or south, and let's say there's another car that comes along, just speeds past you, very quickly cuts in front of you, and then heads all the way across all the lanes to an exit. What are you going to feel at that moment? What are you going to say at that moment? Something like, God bless him. It's wonderful. <laughs> No, you're probably going to feel frustrated and have some things, at least you think and perhaps say about this guy that just cut in front of you and had this very what seemed to be dangerous action that maybe was dangerous or reckless to you. And it's going to create emotions inside of you. And let's just say that you found out that that guy had someone in the car with him who was having a heart attack and he was trying to get to the hospital at that moment and you understood in a different manner, a different perspective, would your feelings change? They would change, right? Why? Because your perspective affects your feelings. How you, are you all tracking with me today? How you view God affects how you feel in your life. How you view other people affects how you feel in your life. How you view the world around you is going to affect how you feel in your life. How you view yourself is going to affect how you... Your perspective is extremely powerful. It's the lens through which you see everything. And this was the problem that Jonah had in his life. I'm going to take you to another example in the Bible of a man who had a different kind of perspective, a better perspective, so we can kind of compare him with Jonah just for a moment. And the story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the story of a man by the name of David. You know him well. And this is the time before David becomes king. He's a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep, and his dad sends him on a mission to go take some food and get some information from his brothers who were in the army and they were in a battle with or about to be in a battle with the Philistine army. And take a look at what happens here in the story and let's see a different perspective and the consequences of our perspectives. First Samuel 17, verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. So his father sent him with some gifts for his brothers who were in the army. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. And so they're forming their battle lines, the Philistine army here, the Israelite army here, and they're facing one another. So David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. So he goes to find them where they are, to greet them, to bring the message from their father, to give them the gifts. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Now, what would happen was this. Here are the two armies, and on the Philistine side... There was a, a giant named Goliath, and he would come out every day, the Bible says, for 40 days. He would look at the Israelite army, and he would say, send somebody over here to fight me. And he taunts them and intimidates them because he's a giant. 
big guy. I mean, really a, a, a true giant. And so he says, send somebody to, to fight me. And here, here's, here's, the, here's the agreement we have. If that person defeats me, then all of us will serve Israel. But if I defeat that person that comes from your ranks, then you guys will serve us. And so nobody wants to fight him. It's an intimidating set of circumstances. Look at what happens next. As soon as the Israelites, Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Here's what I want you to see. Actually, let me read the first next verse for you, and I'll mention this. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. The only thing that the Israelite army could see was a giant. Their perspective for 40 days straight was the fact they saw this giant. Their minds and their lenses were focused on the giant. It's like they had a telephoto lens, and all they could see was this giant intimidating them. This is important because that's their perspective. And the Bible says that every time they saw him and heard him, because of their perspective that he's the giant who may defeat us, they run away in fear. So there's an emotional consequence associated with their perspective. Are you hearing that today? Perspective matters. It's powerful. Now let's see David's perspective here. Look at what happens next. Verse 26. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistine, ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Let's stop there for a moment. The Israelite army, all they saw was a giant, but David didn't see the giant. David saw God who could defeat the giant. This is important. The Israelites had a perspective of the giant. David had a perspective of God. And so he says, who is this pagan Philistine that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Verse 45, David finally goes to, to the giant. He's going to fight him. He replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will, cut, I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Here you see that one group had fear. David had courage. One group was anxious and intimidated. David was courageous and strong. Why? Because he had the right perspective. Notice the difference in perspective. Your perspective is powerful. If it's warped, it's going to hurt your life. If it's healthy, it's going to help your life. That leads me to my second point today. Perspectives are very deceptive. The challenge with perspectives is that we don't always know what our perspective is. We don't do a lot of self-analysis to realize what lens am I looking at life through. We have a hard time doing this. We don't realize what perspective is controlling us. And this to me is one of the saddest things about Jonah. Through all the situations that Jonah went through, we studied them all over the last several weeks. Remember what he went through? He went through a storm right? He goes through the moment of being cast into the sea. He's swallowed by a big fish. 
He goes through all these different circumstances, but in all of this, his perspective of God, his perspective of God's plan for his life never changes. This is the saddest part of the story for me. Jonah was the same man at the end of the story as he was at the beginning of the story. He had technically obeyed God, but in obeying God, he'd never changed on the inside. And I want us to see today that it's true for us as well, that we can, we can, if you will, obey God, we can love God, we can do all the right things and still have the wrong perspective about God, the wrong perspective about ourselves and other people and the world around us, and, and not understand the impact it's having upon us. There are a lot of Christian believers who are going to heaven when they die because they know Jesus as Lord of their life, they've given their life to Christ, but their, their thinking is still is still warped. Their thinking is still disjointed and their thinking is still distorted. They have the wrong lens over their spiritual eyes and they're following worldly examples and worldly exposure and worldly education and worldly influences in their life and it's filtering, it's creating the the lens through which they filter the world around them. Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Look at what he says. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. He's talking to Christians. He says, don't live like the world lives. Gentiles refers refers to the world there. For they are hopelessly confused. Please notice that statement. The world without God, what are they? Hopelessly confused. The whole world structure as we see it out there today is hopelessly confused. It doesn't take much to figure that out because the world around us is calling things that we know to be wrong, calling them right, and everything's twisted around and perverted. And so it should not surprise us because that's how the world thinks, hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. That is, they have the wrong perspective. People living in the world apart from God are living with a wrong perspective. They're viewing life the wrong way. And so how do we find freedom from this? Jesus talked about this as well in John chapter 8. Look at what He said. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching and you will know the truth. What's the opposite of truth? A lie, deception, okay? So he says, you're you're living in deception. You need to know the truth because it's the truth that will do what? Set you free. This is important to grasp here. So Jesus is teaching us, saying, you know what? If you need for your filters, your lenses to be changed, the only way for your lenses to be changed is to gain truth. And once you gain truth, there's a consequence of that truth, and that is liberation or freedom in your life. Paul talks about this as well in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Notice this, by changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, what is good, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So Paul says the real problem with us living for God is not that we don't want to live for God. It's that we're thinking the wrong way, and that keeps us from being as effective for God as we should be. I want to show you a moment in Scripture when a man has this transforming experience of going from the wrong perspective to the right perspective. And his name is Saul of Tarsus. And he has this amazing moment where he moves from one view of God in the world to another view of God in the world in a split second as God speaks into his life. And the story is found in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. They'll be on the, the verses will be on the screens for you. Let me read it for you. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any, of, any, of, any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might make them take, take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so here's Paul, or Saul, I should say, who is who has this mindset that he's serving God by killing Christians. That's his whole mindset. He feels like the way I'm going to serve God is I've got to get rid of all these believers in Jesus. And so he's persecuting others. He's going, in fact, has authority to go to Damascus, Syria, to arrest Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem, put them in jail, and most likely execute them, have them executed. He was the very one that held the coats of those that stoned Stephen who had faith in Christ. And so he thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's deceived. He doesn't realize that he's doing the wrong thing. He has the wrong perspective. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven. Notice that word, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And we know the rest of the story that Saul of Tarsus eventually becomes the Apostle Paul who gives us a significant portion of the New Testament. But in a split second, because light came to him, he saw the light. And when he saw the light, everything changed in his life. He had been in darkness before. He meets Jesus. Jesus comes to him. He sees the light. And everything changes about his life. And in that dramatic story, we see an illustration for every one of us. You and I need to see the light. Amen? And we need to see the light in various areas of our life. And it happens progressively. That's why Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That day by day and little by little, we begin to see more truth. And the more truth that we see, the more freedom comes to our lives. And the transformation of our life is seen in in the work of Christ. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Your eye, circle that word because we'll come back to it in a moment is a lamp that provides light for your body. I provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. So this whole passage is about light, darkness, and eyes. Okay, Let's talk about it for a moment. When Jesus says your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body, he's not just talking about your physical eye. He's talking about something beyond that. What do you use your eye for? To 
see. It's how you view things. You view life through your eyes, okay? And so when Jesus said your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body, he's saying your perspective is going to give light to your life or darkness to your life. When your eye, when your perspective, when you're thinking, when your lens and how you're looking at God and the world and yourself and others, when it's good, then your whole body is filled with light. But when it's bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. There's a consequence to your perspective. And that's why Paul oftentimes prays prayers like this in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, he prays it multiple places, but here's one example of it. Every since, I, every since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. What is he praying? Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding or insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your heart will be flooded with light. I pray that you'll see the light. I pray that you'll have moments when your inner being will light up with an understanding that you didn't have before so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So we see this, this capacity that we have for darkness in all of us and the call of Jesus to bring us into the light or bring us into the truth that brings about freedom. Now, here's the final thing that I want to share with you. This is the hope part part today. So your perspective is powerful. How you're viewing the world is extremely powerful. It has consequences in your life. And most, most often, we don't even realize how dark we are and the way that we view, we picked up things from our experiences around us, our education, all kinds of things that have taught us things that are different than God's Word is. And so here's the hopeful point for us today, and that's this. Perspectives are changeable. Did Saul's perspective change? Saul of Tarsus? Radically change in a moment. The sad part about Jonah is that God worked with Jonah over and over again trying to get him to change his perspective but he never did he stayed the same and so the idea is that our perspectives are changeable but the question becomes how do we change them what's going to change your view of God what's going to change your view of the world what's going to change your view of yourself and others there's only one thing that will ever change you and that is truth okay the only way you know a lie is by knowing the truth. And suddenly the truth is there and it reveals. Of the truth. A knowledge of the truth. And where are we going to find the truth? How do we know truth? There's only one primary source of truth and that is God's word. There's only one primary source of truth. Now, there are many aspects of truth, but any truth is always first and foremost consistent with God's Word. Any truth is, has its foundation in the Word of God. And so we need God's Word to give us truth in our lives, but it's not just enough to have that Word generally. We need it personally in our lives, and that brings into play the Holy Spirit. This is the essence of where I want to come with today's message. Everything I've said so far is leaning up to this point today. So listen very 
closely. You need to think the right way about God. You need to think the right way about people. You need to think the right way about yourself. You need to think the right way about the world around you. All of us do. And the only way you and I can think the right way is to have our minds transformed by truth that comes from the Word of God, but it has to be applied in your particular life by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God has to work inside of you through His Word to reveal truth to you in such a way that it dawns on you. And just like Paul, you say, I saw the light. I saw the light. I was thinking this way, and now I I see differently. I I, I thought that was the right way to think. But now in the light of God's Word, I, I see that my thinking has been completely wrong and You have to be open for that to happen in your life. And that only happens by the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus said about this. John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit, that's who he's talking about here. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into, what will he do? You guys alive here? Okay. He will guide you. Who's you? Point to yourself right there. That's me, okay? He will guide you into what is the Holy Spirit's job in your life? To guide who? You, me, into all truth. That's his job. That's what he's, that's the assignment God gave him. How many of you believe Jesus had an assignment when he came to earth? What was his assignment? to live, to minister, but to ultimately go to the cross and die for the sins of the world and to rise from the grave. He was given an assignment. Well, if Jesus was given an assignment, the Holy Spirit has been given an assignment as well. And what is the assignment of the Holy Spirit? To guide who? You into? Why? Because truth is the only thing that's going to set you free. And so if you're living in deception, you're living in darkness. And in darkness, you're going to be bound up because the opposite of freedom is bondage. And so you and I need to discover truth that liberates us so we can be all that God created us to be. There's a lens that changes. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. Jesus saying here, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. And so the assignment of the Holy Spirit in your life is to bring the teaching and truth of Jesus into your life so that the light bulb turns on for you. You know truth that sets you free. You know it. Sets you free. What I want you to see today is that God's word is not enough for you just to hear God's word up here in your life. You can come to church. You can even read your Bible. You can memorize scripture. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. You should do them. But ultimately what changes you is not how much of it gets up here. But how much of it gets right here. And the difference between you getting it up here and it making sense to you down here is the Holy Spirit helping you to understand it. Amen. And here's what I want you to see today. Are you listening to me? If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know today the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Do you know that? 
don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know, Paul said, don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know that you carry the Holy Spirit inside, around with you? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you. And that means he's there to help you gain truth. But you've got to listen to him. You've got to pay attention. You've got to submit yourself to the opening of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And how does this happen? I'll give you four words, and I'm going to come back to one of them, the first of them. There are four ways that he works through conviction. I'll give you these words. We'll go through them quickly through insight. He gives you insight through his word. You're reading the Bible and something like, wow, I never saw that before. You're listening to a message like you are today in the Holy Spirit. Like, oh, the light bulb turned on. I see that now. He gives you revelation. The word revelation means the unveiling. He pulls back. A, it's like a curtain that pulls back when you go to a play and you don't know what's behind the stage until the curtain is pulled back. That's what the word revelation means. It's the pulling back of a curtain. You say, oh, wow. It's like Paul experienced on the road to Damascus. And sometimes he works in your life through reminders, something you've learned in the past that he has to remind you of so it comes back to you again. But all of these are ways that the Holy Spirit works in your life. Let's go back to the very first one because this is the one that I want to conclude with today. This is, this is the key. You'll never receive truth in your life unless you're sensitive and responsive to what's that word right there? The conviction of the Holy Spirit. One of the most important prayers that you can ever pray, and perhaps it may feel like a dangerous prayer to pray, but it's really the most helpful prayer you can ever pray is to say, God, would you in a new and fresh way in my life, would you make me sensitive to the convicting work of your Holy Spirit that when I'm reading the Bible, when I'm listening to a message, when I'm doing Bible study with someone at church, or I'm doing Bible study on my own, or having conversation with another Christian, and we're talking about the things of God, would you make me sensitive to areas of darkness in my life? Would you make me sensitive to places in my life where I've got a lens that I'm looking through, but it's warped? I've got a warped lens there. Maybe that warped lens came through an experience I had that I haven't really dealt with, or maybe it came through some exposures of that. I don't, it doesn't really matter where it came from, but I know that I'm not looking at things the right way, and would you please, would you help me see the light? Would you help me to understand? Would you convict me, Lord, where I need to be convicted? See, here's the problem. We all think we're pretty good at knowing other people's sins, aren't we? If I handed you a sheet of paper and said, would you please fill out the sins of the person that's closest to you? You can make a whole, you'd be asking for more notebook paper, right? Because you know all their sins. But the problem is we don't often know our own. We don't really know the things that are holding us back in our lives. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth because truth brings light and it will set you free. It'll change your perspective. As I mentioned a moment ago, the saddest thing to me about the whole story of Jonah, and with this we conclude, he goes through the entire book. Does Jonah love God? Does he? Oh, Jonah loved God. Yeah. Was Jonah a man of God? Oh, he's a man. 
Was Jonah a prophet of God? Yes, he was all those things. He loved God. But he never changed. He goes through the whole book loving God, but the thing that messed him up was his perspective. He could never get past the perspective he had of God and of others. Don't let that happen in your life. God has far, don't live your whole life and at the end of your life be the same person you were at the beginning, okay? Make sure that on an ongoing basis you're saying, God, convict me, show me, help me to see truth, God. I don't want to be warped by the darkness of this world, amen? Don't let the darkness of this world warp you. Don't let the influence of this world twist your mind and cause you to think ways that are contrary to God. To say, Lord, bring me truth because I know your truth will set me free. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, as I've sought to try to deliver this message from my heart, your heart today to your people, I pray that something has been said would find a resonating point in each one of us. Lord, all of us live in certain dimensions of darkness at times. We don't, we don't even know it. We're not even aware of it. It's so deceptive at times that we don't even pick up on the fact that it's going on in our lives. But Lord, would you make us far more sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Lord, in those moments when you're speaking to us through your word or you're speaking to us through a message or you're speaking to us through a Bible study or speaking to us through a friend that you bring into our lives, whatever way you choose to speak to us that will grow us, help us to, to be sensitive, to hear so that our perspective is adjusted, God. We don't want to live with a warped perspective. We know that we're transformed by changing the way that we think, and that comes by the work of your word and your spirit in our lives. Do that for each one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. 
And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.